I'm continuing on with this study in 2 Corinthians. And the great thing about going through the Bible is that that's the important thing. It's not so important who delivers the message as long as the message is delivered. So I'm very happy to just jump in and continue to, to deliver that. Now, it is kind of crazy that we've come to these two chapters in which Paul talks about money in a way that is overwhelming. It practically curls your toes, the kind of pressure he puts on the Corinthians. And in the kind of churches where we come from, even to talk about money is, is right up there with the Ten Commandments. Maybe it's number 11 or 15 or something. You never mention the M word. But if you teach through the Bible, you have to come to these chapters. And thus, the conflict. We're going to talk about money today. The crux of the chapter and the whole section here, chapters 8 and 9, is in verse 24 of chapter 8. And Paul says, therefore, show to them, meaning the churches, and before the churches, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Now, Paul wants the believers in Corinth to give money. He's making a collection for poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And the Corinthians began this idea of, yeah, let's get a collection together. Let's relieve their suffering. They started this a year ago from when Paul is writing right now. And they had passion and they were into it, they were convinced, they said, yes, this is a good thing to do. And now a year later, they've run out of steam. And now Paul is reminding them about this, and he means to make this collection, and he means to relieve the suffering of poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So this is about money, but it's about more than money. The principle behind this is, is Jesus really living in you? And every believer needs to know that, needs to be aware of the truth and be convinced and know for real, yes, Jesus lives in me. Now that's what we're gonna look at in this chapter. And I'm starting here in verse one. Paul says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift 
and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we'd hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So here the first thing Paul says is look at the guys in Macedonia. Now the way that the terrain is, is set out there in this part of Europe, you've got Macedonia first and then you've got what was called the region of Achaia south and east, all right? So what happened was Paul went through Macedonia first before he came to Achaia where Corinth is. And that means the first place he stopped in Macedonia was Philippi. Then it was Thessalonica, Berea, came to Athens, and then he went to Corinth. So when he's talking about Macedonia, he's talking about those churches to the northeast. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and maybe something in Athens. Now, what he's saying is that these believers really received the grace of God, and it is obvious there is no other explanation for what they're doing because they're giving graciously. And you notice this, that they're not very well off themselves. They have deep poverty. That means they don't have enough for themselves. But in the midst of this, Paul says, they've got joy and it says their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality according to their ability and beyond. They gave. Isn't that crazy? And this abundance of joy, that comes from receiving Jesus. I mean, if you know that your sins are forgiven, that you're not going to die, that you're going to live forever, that should give joy, right? But there's another part of joy, and that comes from giving. You know, it's woven into the fabric of the universe, and it works whether you believe in Jesus or God or not. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. And you know, this is what some psychologists will tell their people who are very depressed. They say, go out and help somebody. Just do something for somebody else. Get your eyes off yourself. And you know what happens is it is more blessed to give than receive. And all of a sudden, you do something good for somebody, you just go... Wow, that was good. Who else can I help? You. Come here. Let me help you. It's just a crazy thing. You get your eyes on yourself, you will get depressed. Guaranteed. But it's more blessed to give than receive. Now, I love to receive. But I also know this truth. It is more blessed to give than receive. And it works for anybody, whether you believe in God or not. It's just built into the fabric of reality. Now, I want you to notice that in verse 4, they begged Paul. 
They implored. We don't use that so much, but in other translations, you'll, you'll read, they begged us. Now, the only time you need to beg somebody is to overcome resistance, right? Those of you who have children know what that is. They're overcoming your natural parental resistance. Daddy, can I? No. But can I? No. All the others can do it? No. See, they're begging, and you've got resistance. So they come at you, Daddy, what do you want? See, you know they're already trying to overcome your natural resistance. Well, what this means is Paul had resistance, and you can imagine why. You know, Paul, in his mind, he wanted to help the guys out in Jerusalem. He mentioned this in Galatians, where he was talking with certain apostles. They wanted him to remember the poor in Jerusalem. He says, I wanted to do that too. But now he's talking to these believers in Macedonia, and he's not blind. He can see these guys. They're poor. At this point in time, you've got the lowest of society and slaves becoming Christians. It's not very popular for high and mighty people to be believers in Jesus. It's, it's a religion for losers. So he's talking to a bunch of poor people, mentioning this, and he says, I had an expectation. Maybe he was thinking, if they just give something it's a token. The heart is right. doesn't matter how much they give. But as long as this grace is happening, it's good for them. Okay? Maybe that's what he had in his mind. I'll collect a token. It will mean something. But then they start giving money. It's like, where did you get that? Well, you know, I sold the pig. You what? What are you going to live on? God's going to provide. I, I can't take this. No, you have to. No, come on. I'm not here to rip you off. I just want to, you know, get the grace of God flowing. No, 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 please, please, please. Well, why? What, what is this? And he says why. He says, not as we supposed, not as we hoped. But he said, where is it? They first gave themselves to the Lord. So they hear about this contribution for the saints. And they didn't think about it the way you and I would. When we hear about a contribution, we go, oh, gee. Okay, how much? Ow, can I afford that? Ooh, I don't know. Man, I wanted to get this. You know, this thing I've been thinking about for four months, and I, I've read all the reviews on the internet, and I know which one I want now. Why did that have to happen now? You know what I'm talking about? We think, you know what? I can't do this. They didn't do that. They came to God, and they said, here I am. Thank you so much that you gave Jesus for me. Thank you so much that you took away my sins. You bought me with your own blood. Here I am. And everything I am and all that I am is yours. This is my rational, 
logical, spiritual service of worship. Here I am. How can I make you happy? How can I bless you? How can I love you? What do you want? Anything you want. What's going to make you happy? You love those guys in Jerusalem. And so they came to Paul and they said, this is what we want to give. And Paul was staggered. Can you, can you sort of feel like the conflict here? These guys can't afford this. And they're making me take this money. Oh my goodness. That makes this money more valuable than the actual cash value. This is like when those three mighty men gave David a helmet full of water from the well at Bethlehem that was guarded by the Philistines. David says, whoa, this is the blood of these men. And he pours it out in worship to God. That's what Paul has here is this money that goes beyond value because they gave themselves to God in worship. This is worship. And he says, wow. So they went beyond what Paul thought. And this is what grace is. Whenever you think of grace, you have to think Grace is something that blows your mind. If you can read something gracious and remain unmoved, you're not breathing. It has to stagger you because it's too much. It's over the top. It's way beyond what anybody could ask of you. It's like, wow. It's almost scary. Because you're not thinking in terms of what can I afford? You're thinking of lavish and love and over the top. That's what Paul experienced. He saw it. He's got the money. Concrete verification, confirmation. These guys have received the grace of God. They get it. So then he says in verse 6, so we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Whoa. Now, you know we're not supposed to compare, right? Like, comparison is, is bad. But that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's saying, you know what? I can see and touch and feel the grace of God in these people. There is no other explanation why these absolutely dirt poor people came up with that kind of money. Nothing on the planet could move them to do that. This has to be because 
Jesus lives in them. Does everybody get that? I don't mean to so like hit you on the head with a gospel hammer, but this is staggering. So then he says, hey, I want Titus to finish this work in you. Gracious work. Grace. Get it? Now he says, there's already a gracious work begun in you. In faith, you believe in Jesus. In speech, you talk different. You talk like guys who know Jesus. You know, Christians don't curse. They should not complain. I mean, that should be like red lights and fireworks going off. This guy is different because everybody else complains and curses and just says horrible things. But Christians, they don't say that kind of thing. You know that. In knowledge, in all diligence, I mean, they're into it. So a gracious work has begun among the Corinthians. But then he says, see that you abound in this grace, this one over here, too. And the reason is, what God wants to do with us is make us well-rounded, complete. When we come to Jesus, we're, we're interesting. That's a euphemistic word right there. Because we're so lopsided. We are tremendously strong in some areas and in other areas, we're absolutely oblivious, right? And part of being a Christian is learning where all of your blind spots are and everything that you're not aware of. And you thought you were a pretty cool person. And the longer you go as a Christian, the more you find out, man, I am pathosic. That's a new word. It's beyond pathetic. But you can say that word in public. I mean, again, I used to think I was a nice person. And the longer I've been a Christian, the more I see how pitiful I am. In fact, I, I reached a conclusion not long ago that the best part about me is somebody else. And it's true. The best part about me is somebody else, and it's not my wife. Honey, if you're listening, I love you. You know, Paul says it like this. There's nothing good that dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. The only difference between me and dust is that God loves me. That's basically who I am. So... He says, I'm looking and I'm seeing the grace of God in them. Now I want to see it in you. Like Phil Vickery told the guys yesterday at the men's retreat, and you should have been there. Oh my goodness, that's a good one. You better put on the books for next year. He says, I come to the place in my church where I say, you know what? Show me Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I don't want to see your flesh. I want to see Jesus in you. And that's what Paul is seeing right here. 
See that you abound in this grace also. And he says, I've seen it in them. I want to see it in you. And here's the deal. All these things are good. Speech is good. Faith is good. Knowledge is good. Diligence. Put under this heading of passion. That's good. But you know, passion has to result in action. And if it doesn't result in action, there's something wrong with the passion. Now, Paul knows that this grace is possible because this is what Jesus demonstrated. That's what he says in verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, Paul does not expect anybody to naturally have grace in themselves. Does everybody get that? You and I do not bring grace to the table. We're not capable of this kind of ability to give beyond ourselves. Because you know what? If we do that, we'll die. That's what's in the back of my mind. I'm sure it's in the back of yours as well. Boy, if I give too much, I'm dead. And then what? So reasonably thinking, I can't go that far. But see, Jesus didn't think like that. He's the standard. He's the source. He's the example of what grace is. Because here's Jesus who exists in the form of God. It doesn't get any better than that. There is no up from God. So he's at the top. He's got all the privileges. He owns everything. He made it all, and he keeps it running. And what did God at the top do? He emptied himself, took the form of a bondservant, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And that is to make us all rich. He gave up the privileges, the power, even his own ability to determine what he was going to do. He says, I don't do anything but what the Father shows me. I don't speak anything but what the Father tells me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, therefore I do. So Jesus gives up his righteousness, his good name, he gives up his health. He lets himself be beaten up, accused falsely. He never defends himself. He loses it all. And there he is, being crucified, being ridiculed and mocked by these fellows who say, well, he saved others and he can't save himself. Come on off the cross. I mean, they're just... Show us you're the Christ. Come on. It's like, can it get any worse? And then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to be utterly separated. That's dead. That's dead. So Jesus gave and lost it all and died. Now just his death saves us. 
even if he didn't rise from the dead. Just the fact that he took our punishment means we don't have to die anymore. Woohoo! That's fabulous. But here's the problem he gave it all away to the point of death. And that's what we would have expected. That's what happens to you, right? What a dope. You give it up, you haven't got anything left for yourself. Way to go. Why weren't you thinking about what happens afterwards? Where's your retirement? Nope, you blew it all out. Way to go. So was Jesus a dope? No. Because here's the other thing about grace. And then he died. No, that's not fair. The secret of grace is there's more where that came from. There's more where that came from. So guess what? Jesus gives it all away. Was that the end? Was he a dope? No, because God raised him from the dead. He's never going to die again. He's the name above all names. That's why we worship him. Because Jesus benefited others, poured out his grace, served God, and didn't serve himself. So here he is, now exalted, and God has given him a new life, glory, honor. Okay, so he is the standard for grace. He's the source of grace. And he shows us that grace, when you do that, there's always more where that came from. Remember when that, that lady comes into the temple and they're all throwing in big sacks of money and here's some more. And she comes in and throws in the smallest legal offering amount you possibly could. You couldn't throw in one of those little coins. You had to have two. And she put it in and Jesus goes, wow. She put in more than all those got rocks. She put in everything she had. Now listen, when you read that, when I read that, we think, what did she have for dinner? How did she pay the bills? She just blew everything right there. What happened to her? Do you think God was in heaven and he said, oh my gosh, look at that, Michael. She put in everything. Blows my mind. Boy, I hope she makes it. <laughs> That's what I call living on the edge, man. Wow, what a crazy girl. How did, man, white knuckles. I hope she makes it. Do you think God let her starve? See, I don't think so either. I think God did something. And she knew he was going to do it. Because that's how you give the money in the first place. There's more where that came from. And when you figure that out, you know, life becomes kind of like this. You can love anybody. You can outlast anybody. You can love somebody who's like a porcupine. You ever hugged a porcupine? You know how to do it? Real careful. Some people are like that. It's like, you know, I'd hug you more, but it's really difficult. <laughs> but see, you can deal with that kind of person all day long. Babe, I can outlast you till you say, okay, what is it? 
What do you have that I don't have? Well, let me give it to you. And that's, that's how Jesus gave grace. Everybody with me there? So, in verse 10 he says, in, in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. That's kind of a clunky way to put it, but it works like this. Your passion has to end up with doing something about it. It has to result in something concrete, all right? It's not one of these things where, hey, you know what? If I had a million pounds, I'd give you 50,000. I really appreciate that. That's, that's super duper nice of you. Yeah, but you don't have that million pounds, do you? So what does all your passion mean? Well, it doesn't count for a whole lot. And you know, let me just, can I rant for a minute on you? Maybe not even a minute, maybe half a minute. There's a real sort of thing in the Christian world about passion. And passion is cool. And I've seen the Hillsong videos where they got the swooping camera going through the crowd and boy, everybody is tranced and worshiping. You know, and I think how tranced can you be when there's a camera swooping through? But you know, I don't, I'm no good when I'm watching movies. Forget it. Anyway, I think, okay, there's a lot of passion there. Let me ask, does it translate into action? You know, if everybody is tranced out and blissed and just worshiping God like this, what happens on Monday? How does that translate? Let me put it like this. Your passion would lead you to get married, but your passion should enable you to keep your vows. Does that make sense? Or what does it say about your passion to get married in the first place? So that motivation, that desire, I want to serve God, it's got to end up in some kind of concrete, practical action or it's just a bunch of talk. And if you notice... Faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, all that stuff is kind of mental. I believe in Jesus. Anybody can say that. Knowledge, you know, I know John 3.16. I know how to talk the Christian talk. But then it's another thing to actually do something, right? Now, I was thinking about the time when they, they brought the paralytic in to Jesus and lowered him in in front of everybody. You know, Jesus doesn't say a word until they lower the guy in and everybody's watching this and they're looking at Jesus to see what he says. You remember what he said? Son, your sins are forgiven you. 
they're all thinking, nobody can say that but God. And then it says, Jesus knowing their thoughts. He says, what do you think, wink? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiving you? Or rise up, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, you. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And he does. See, Jesus verifies that he has the authority to forgive sins. He makes it absolutely concrete. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So he wants the passion to be met with action. It's got to result in that. And the problem is the Corinthians are stuck right in the passion part and they're running out of passion and they'll never get to this action bit. That's what Paul wants to complete. Now, he says... For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now, what, he's, what Paul's quoting about right there is from Exodus 16 and it's about the manna and everybody was supposed to go out and gather up an omer of manna for themselves which I don't know how much that is but you're supposed to get an omer and what happened was some of them go out there and you know gather a bunch and evidently they're the kind that are type A overachievers and they say well if it's there it's to get, so I'm going to get it, <laughs> like this. And then others are those kind of, well, I don't know, I don't care. It's kind of, there might be a lion out in the street. And then go out and they kind of get a little bit. But what Paul emphasizes is that the guys that gathered a lot didn't have too much. For all their diligence and, we got to save some of it till tomorrow, kind of thing, or I want to be the king of manna? I don't know what they were thinking. But they went out and got a whole bunch of omers. But they ended up with just what they needed. And then these guys that didn't actually kind of, what are we doing? You know, kind of gathering it up. They ended up with all they needed. And these guys over here didn't get any more than what they needed. Did you get that? It wasn't about the effort they put into it. It was about the providence of God. And what God was saying is, I will satisfy your need. And what God is about is satisfying the needs, okay? That's what Paul's talking about in this situation. And he says there's an equality going on. Needs to be satisfied. And there's two of them. There's the obvious need with the poor brethren in Jerusalem, right? Obviously, they need help. And the Corinthians can be a supply for that. But then he says, here's the other need. You guys have a need. 
you Corinthians have a need that these guys in Jerusalem can supply. And that is, you have a need to be gracious and fruitful. And if you don't become gracious and fruitful, you're not going to understand this thing about there's more where that came from. You're going to remain scared to do anything because you'll never have enough to step out and do it. And then there's a real question if Jesus is really in you because Jesus knows how to do that and you guys aren't doing that. So what does that say about you? Is Jesus in you or not? Does everybody see the question there? Now, you know, Paul is going to be brutal on them. But it's the kind of brutality that a father is on his children because they need to grow up. If these guys don't get in the groove with grace, they'll never develop as believers. They'll never experience what it's like to be in that groove of grace and realize this is how you live. So it's crucial that they begin to do this at some point in their life. And Paul, evidently, through the Holy Spirit, figures it's got to be now, guys. You have got to do this. Now, you know, your kids don't want to go out and get a job. They don't want to go out and pay the bills. Why? Because it's a lot easier to let dad do it. But if you stay like that, kid, you're going to be helpless. You're not going to develop. You've got to know that you can do this. Yeah, but I don't want to do it. Yeah, but you're going to do it. You have to do it. And that's what Paul is doing to these guys. That's why it's so brutal. Does everybody understand that? All right. Now, I want to show you. Did I mention that, that the poor in Jerusalem, they are a supply for these guys. See, the, we, the reason why I understand this is because I'm a missionary, the way John is a missionary. And missionaries hate getting up in front of people and saying, will you please support me? Because we look like these poor, dumb people that do nothing but suck off of people. Hello, I'm a missionary. Give me money. And if you don't, I'm going to starve and it's your fault. <laughs> Would you kick a puppy? <laughs> well, don't kick me. Give me. You know, that's the furthest thing from what we're doing. We are not pathetic people. <gasps> I am a human being. <laughs> Do you know what I offer to people that support me? I am a supply for their need. Jesus said to everybody, go and make disciples of all nations. That means you guys too. He didn't give the com commission to some weirdo, wacko guys who are actually stupid enough to leave their own country. Thank you. I heard that. He gave it to everybody. Now, you know what? If you can't go, I think it would be the point of wisdom to get behind somebody who can. Then you get to share in that fruit. That's how you fulfill that commandment of Jesus. Everybody's got to think missions. Everybody's got to think the mission, the commission. 
This is how you do it. If you can't go yourself, get behind somebody who's going. Now, I am one of those people that offer that opportunity. If you want to do it with me, God bless you. But if you don't do it with me, you better do it with somebody. You get it? You see, that's how I can get up there and do it. Because I'm not just, you know, I'm going to cut my wrist if you don't support me, okay? That wouldn't work either. And I don't want to go as far as gasoline and then a match. They might take me up on it and say, well, let's see some action. <laughs> I'll make you feel bad for me. Well, this is a supply for your need. People don't get that they have a need to be fruitful. And this is what Paul is saying. It'll work both ways. Now, we're going to read the last part here. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. In other words, he says we have to handle this thing carefully so that nobody looks at us and says, well, this is a money-making scam. He says we're avoiding that. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Now, I don't know who all these guys are, and it's not important. The thing to notice is that they were chosen by the churches. Now, all the churches are watching to see what happens. In other words, there's a big audience watching you Corinthians about what you are going to do. What are you going to do with everybody watching you? Paul's putting on the pressure. You can't avoid this, like say, let, let him do it. Everybody's watching. In other words, there's a crisis. It's going public. A crisis. I hate crises. I hate them. Because I don't like my life being messed up. I want it smooth, I want it straight, and I want the seven angels to throw rose petals in my path. And if I don't get that, this is broken. Somebody fix it right now. I hate crises. But here's what I do in a crisis. Oh God, please help me. See, that's what a crisis is designed for. That's why you're in a crisis right now. So that you go, oh God, and he says, what do you want? And you say, help, 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 help. And he says, okay, 
And then he helps you. And you go, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He goes, you're welcome. So that's what crises are about. They have a crisis right now. Guess what? They're going to be calling on the grace of God to help them. What's God going to do? Give them grace. What are they going to do with that? Turn around and be gracious. Now that's, that's what's going to happen. This is why you're in a crisis right now, for whatever reason. And I would bet you 5P, you're in one. And if you're not in one, you're going to be. Can you get out of it? Only with God. It's going to show you what kind of a person you really are. And the answer is, you need Jesus. So you pray your brains out, and guess what? You get Jesus. And you learn, after you do this enough, that this is the way life goes. You see, you're doing just what the Macedonians did. Here comes this crisis. Oh my gosh. These poor guys in Jerusalem. What do I do? Oh God. What do you want? They need money. What are you worried about? I don't know. Do I have any? <laughs> Here's what my prayers sound like. I don't know about yours. But the idea is, when you say, okay, God, save me, help me, you are offering yourself to God in worship. Now, this is what life is about, folks, but the crises sort of help you do that on a regular basis. Wouldn't it be more fun if you got up every day and said, here I am, 100% yours. Thank you for buying me with your blood. No deals. You get anything you want today, right now. Just be with me and help me. See, now you're in the flow of the grace of God and you can love people, you can give them what they need, you can do anything that you need to do because you're living in this, this discipline, I would say, of grace. And here's what you find. It's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, this is where you stay happy and there's always more where that came from. I could bore you for quite a long time with stories about how God saved me as a missionary. And that's the hilarious joke. I used to work in Germany where it was fantastically expensive. And then God sent me to England which made Germany look like a bargain. <laughs> I used to pay 800 and 94 marks and 13 Finnig for my two-bedroom flat in Siegen, Germany. And when I went to London to find an apartment, the one I found was 850 pounds. And I, I, I went to London on the Eurostar to find it. I found it. I came back. I told my friends in Germany that it was going to cost 850 pounds for a two-bedroom flat. And they did the math, like Germans do, <laughs> inhumanly perfect. They go, 2,500 marks? You could get a villa here for that kind of dough. And I said, I know. <laughs> this wasn't my idea. I'm hamburger. If God doesn't show up. And then I found out God showed up. So, I mean, if you ever dare to become a missionary, this is what life's about. 
you get to find the hilarity of it. Is that, you know, I'm a snowball in hell. And you look at that snowball in hell and you go, how does it do that? How does it stay alive in a place where it should go? <laughs> and you look at it and go, that's interesting. How do you do that? And I'll tell him flat out. I don't know. <laughs> miracle though, ain't it? And you become a miracle. You know what a miracle is? Divine intervention in human affairs. I am a miracle. Take a picture of me. <laughs> but see, you're a miracle too. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now he lives in you. You're a miracle. You want to experience more miracles? You say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I'm all yours. Here I am. And then you face every crisis just like that. Well, Lord, here's your crisis. What do you want? Here I am. What do you want? 